Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Welcome back to the Growth Factor Podcast. My name is Pastor John. This is a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I'm joined by our senior pastor and my co-host, Dr. Philip L. Pointer Sr. And we've been working through a series called Make It Make Sense as we look through digging deeper into God's Word. And our goal this season is to help folks properly understand scripture in its context, but also understanding, understand it in ways that is deeply transformative for them. So last week, Pastor Pointer, we used a lot of restraint. <laughs> yes. This yes. week, we're going to let go. Yeah, yeah. Because absolutely. we wanted to teach that thing last week, but we did give you all some assignments to do, and hopefully you were able to go and ask questions of this transfiguration text in Matthew chapter 17 that we assigned to you all. Well, this week, we're going to work through this text verse by verse and ask questions, but also look towards answering some of those questions for you to see if we can understand the text within its proper context. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, when we talk about that, that, that questioning phase, you know, I really want people to understand. We're going to lift some questions tonight. Um, that have some answers um, that that um, that we investigate through study, and and I don't want people to hear this tonight. Listen to it, uh, Pastor John. I don't want them to get intimidated um, by our questions or the answers that we uncover, uh, because we do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? We do this uh, for for a living. Yeah. Um, seminary trained and. And part of our livelihood is opening up the scripture and, and digging out these um, these questions and, and these answers. What I do want people to grab uh, is that you start somewhere. Yeah. You start with questions. You start um, with investigating the text by asking it these questions. And if you did the work and you said, oh, I didn't come up with that question, there, mm-hmm. there's no right and wrong questions. And I want to remind people, uh, perhaps you've asked some questions of the text. You'll always ask questions of the Bible. And I want to remind people one more time, Pastor John, we don't always get our questions answered mm. firmly yeah. um, because the Bible does not exist to answer all of our questions. Um, questions are to help us to investigate and dig. Yeah. Um, but the Bible exists to reveal God's truth to us and as much truth as is necessary mm. uh, for us to know God, to know Christ and to walk with Christ. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, the, that's what I want to be clear about. And that's the beauty of Bible study, right? Because anybody, regardless of whether you're seminary trained or not, anyone can ask questions mm-hmm. of a text. Yes. There are questions that come to mind as you're reading a text. And that's what we want to get you all in the general practice of is asking those questions so that when we move into providing you with some tools to help you answer those questions, and they're not going to be the high-level seminary getting down to the nitty-gritty type of tools. They're going to be ones that are going to help you from just a regular person who wants to do scripture study every single day. We're not expecting you all to come up and preach and teach. No, no, no. (laughs) We're not going to teach you how to diagram Greek sentences. We're not doing that. Um, But what we are going to do is to prayerfully give you the tools uh, to... 
read and study the scripture so that you grow by your own personal study. And, and what we do on Sundays and what we do in, in Bible studies and podcasts and, and classes, Roddy Collins and all of those other things that St. Mark does in terms of teaching ministry. Uh, and, and even if you go to uh, an outside entity, a Bible study fellowship and those kinds of things, there are extreme advantages to the corporate study. But it does not eliminate the requirement, the necessity, and the benefit of your own personal study. Yeah. Um, and that's what we want to give you. We, we want to give you tools so that you and God can talk <laughs> and God can talk to you from the word uh, for yourself. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 17 tonight. Make sure you got your word open and ready to go because we're going to take this verse by verse mm-hmm. and we're going to try to get through as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah, this gonna, time, because you know press. how we do. Yeah. We're going to press a while. We're, we're going to press, press through. Yeah. We're going to press through. So let's start here in verse number one and I'll just read the entire verse before we um, jump into some, some of the questions because we did start looking at some of this last week. Mm-hmm. So verse one and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John and his and John, his brother. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. So last week, we did ask that question uh, after six days. The literary context question is, well, what happened before this text? And we did talk about Jesus, um, Peter making this confession before Jesus that he is the Christ. And then Jesus concluding that passage in, in chapter 16 by saying there's some standing here today who will not die before they see my glory right yeah so that's where we see this text say after six days but where i want to start pastor pointer is where i generally start uh in looking at the gospels and this is looking at parallel gospel accounts Mm -hmm. to see if there's any differences in what that account says in either mark luke or john Mm -hmm. um Besides this account. So when we look at those other two accounts that we're going to look at in Mark and Luke, what we're looking for is distinctions that those two writers make in the text that will help us to flesh out the entire story. We talked about that last time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to reiterate it, uh, Pastor John. I I really want people to grab that when you're talking about the Gospels, this is true in some Old Testament passages as well um, among the Kings and and Samuel and Chronicles. Um, The same story told by different authors, um, and it's important that we grasp that they do not all give the same details. Yeah. Um, now, some people say, oh, the Bible is contradictory in that place. No, if you go to a court of law and you line up four witnesses and they give you the same testimony word for word, then you know something is wrong. <laughs> you, there's something wrong if they all say the same exact thing the same exact way the the judge and jury is going to say that's a lie because that's not reality um what god does is that god used these perspectives um matthew has a perspective based on we talked about it um earlier in our series um as an author he has an audience mark has a perspective as an author he has an audience luke has a perspective so does john um and and what we're trying to ascertain is we're trying to get a glimpse of this one event from as many perspectives as possible um, so that we re- we realize when we study they're not contradictory, they're complementary with an E. They're complementary. Mm-hmm. They go together. They fit together. And when we fit these passages together from these multiple Gospels, then we start to see the whole picture of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration and in other incidences 
in Scripture. So I, w- I want to grab that yeah, good. Uh, off off the top, particularly, um, and 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 we have this as something to, to explain, Pastor John, and I'm excited to get, dig into this kind of thing. <laughs> you know, so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels, um, but John is kind of on in. On a, he's in his own lane. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in his own lane, yeah. um, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels, S-Y-N, optic, meaning with, like, uh, um, they see together is really what it means. Uh, so they generally have much of their information is similar or the same. Uh, large blocks of these gospels have um, same or similar passages to describe same or similar events, whereas John is all the way out um, in his own world <laughs> because he has a different purpose and a different audience, uh, and he also writes at a much later time yeah. um, his gospel than these. Uh, now, what's critical about that is so when I'm studying Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'm, I do very well to look at the other gospels mm-hmm. to see if the incident is there and then what's said about it, Pastor John. I, yeah. I think that's critical to start in this. Yeah, and in most instances, it will be there because mm-hmm. uh, many scholars do believe that they had kind of a similar source mm-hmm. material, which we talked about probably in a couple of previous episodes called the Q source. Right. Not QAnon. No, no not QAnon. No, it's no. the Q source. It's German for the word quail, which mm-hmm. means that these, these kind of read together and that they have one source possibly mm-hmm. because when you read them, you'll see that they're very similar in terms of the way they're laid out, but the word structure sometimes is different, and then they intentionally choose certain words to highlight um, based on their theological kind of uh, distinction that they're approaching it from. Yeah, and, and again, so just to, just to drive that home, so Matthew is writing from the perspective of Jesus as king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Mark is looking at him as the one who is suffering with his people. Luke sees him as the great physician. Um, so there's a lot, of, and Luke is a physician himself, so it's from his perspective, uh, and as the son of man or the, or the perfect God man. Uh, so those kinds of, those distinctions determine how they tell uh, the truth of what happened in the Gospels. A, a word about that quail source, uh, Pastor John, it, it, that idea came, and it's German because German theologians uh, proposed that there was a, a source uh, from which Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and uh, most scholars believe Mark was written first, um, from which Mark got his material, and then Matthew and Luke, they say, borrow from Mark's material. Um, but, but I believe in source material, but not a written source, that right. it, it would not have been uh, lost if it was such a significant uh, right. source. What we, what we generally believe, and we've talked about this before, because of the culture, uh, because of general illiteracy, mm-hmm. that large blocks of information would be memorized by people as a part of their process. Um, we don't do this anymore. You know, you come down the aisle or you text something and you just join church. <laughs> but but there was a time, some of y'all are old enough to remember like the mourner's bench, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you had to kind of prove that something happened mm-hmm. to you. Uh, so for the mourner's bench, there was like a, an experience you had to say, I saw God one day walking in the field. Um, and then for others in other expressions of our faith, um, a lot of people do catechism. Yeah. which is memorizing questions and answers, large blocks of information mm-hmm. to prove that you are aware, knowledgeable about, um, and familiar with theology and doctrine. Mm-hmm. And, and I contend and believe, based on the culture, based on these being um, early first century Jews who 
already were used to memorizing large blocks of information in the law and the midrash, the, the Jewish, uh, the rabbis' interpretation of the law, they already, this is what they did yeah. um, because they couldn't read and write. Most of them, they couldn't put it down in a book. So they would have memorized these large blocks of information. Uh, so it does not seem foreign in any way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke would have these large areas of, of their gospels that are similar or same yeah. um, with the nuances of, of adding their theological perspective um, or not adding, but telling it from their theological perspective using the same source material, which would have been whatever the catechism yeah. of their day was or whatever the doctrinal creeds of their day would have been, which which would have been just what happened in the gospels. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's the idea of, of the, of them having the same source material. Uh, I, I used yeah. the example last time of people who are in fraternities and sororities. You had to memorize all of this information um, in order to um, qualify and those kind of things. For those of us who are ordained, we were supposed to have done those things, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So um, it's not foreign. It's not unusual that they would they would have these large blocks of information, yeah, all so the same. Because they were steeped in oral tradition, mm-hmm. and that led to a greater retention for Absolutely. them, right? Absolutely. So I want to look at just a couple of things from Luke um, chapter 9 mm-hmm. that really shows and demonstrates that you have to read multiple accounts of an event in scripture, especially when they appear in the gospel. So you can understand that uh, different authors may have seen different distinctions there or something to highlight that another author might not have highlighted. But I think the first one we have is an apparent contradiction. You talked about contradictions earlier. Um, This first one could for some people seem like a contradiction, but it's easily explained. Yeah. So, um, it starts with now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, the same sayings. Yep. The same thing that he said in Matthew, he says in Luke here in chapter nine before, and it says about eight days after these sayings. Mm-hmm. We just read in Matthew. About six days. It was six days. Yeah. What's going on there? What we got going on? What, what, where we start counting from? <laughs> where yep. we start counting from? Uh, so is this the beginning of when Jesus and the disciples have this conversation in Caesarea mm-hmm. Philippi? Um, or is it, are we counting from the end? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's just that simple. Pastor yeah. John. Yeah. And in ad- addition to that, I think Luke is also intentional about language too. Mm-hmm. So uh, Matthew uses the word meta, which means after six days Mm -hmm. and then luke says about now about and that's the right translation yeah they're about Mm -hmm. after eight days yeah um and and luke maybe he's just being he's a very precise person so he's Mm -hmm. saying okay it was about eight days between this happening and there may have been some time before after where it did happen right and and okay i didn't intend to go this deep past john (laughs) Because I I'm miss, sorry. I, I miss, sorry. I miss people up when we when we get to these kind of things. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Matthew, from the Jewish perspective, yeah, numbers are significant. Mm-hmm. The numbers mean something. That's one of the questions we're gonna we're gonna answer when we when we're talking about Matthew seventeen. The numbers are significant. The the numbers are used intentionally. So here's one of the differences in perspective. Matthew is writing that Jesus is King of the Jews. Mm-hmm. So the Numbers are symbolic in many ways. So the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew has 14 generations, um, you know, between the three 14s, 42 generations. Well, 
there are more people there. It's more biologically. It's more than 42 generations from Abraham. to Jesus. But 42 is a significant number symbolically, the seven and the six and, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. In the same way, you'll see a lot of sevens. You'll see a lot of sixes in Matthew because these are numbers that mean something yeah. to the Jews. And so Matthew's going to count from the end of the conversation, as it were, if we're, if we're doing it chronologically. Mm-hmm. From the end of the conversation, then Jesus is going to begin to take them, and now six days later, mm-hmm. because I need it to be six mm-hmm. for the theological purposes. Yep. Luke is writing what we have talked about before, the most orderly account. Luke intends for the chronology to be right and the accuracy of the history. Matthew is writing theologically, doctrinally. These events are true. This is what happened. But he's making sure that Jews who read this understand the theological implications of it. Luke is writing to a Gentile and a Gentile audience, for the most part, Mm -hmm. who are what happened? When did it happen? History. More Western in his, from his perspective, like you and I would think, if you tell the story, you tell one, two, three, four, five. Matthew doesn't need to do that. He can tell five, three, eight, eleven. Yeah. So when when Luke says about eight days, he's saying I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to specify a number. Mm-hmm. It was about you know as I as 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 much as I can figure the time between the start of the conversation and the time of the transfiguration mm. as I've as I've collected the evidence it was about yeah. eight days yeah. it was about eight days and that's again those both perspectives are legitimate mm. correct not contradictory that's yeah. the yeah. <laughs> that's the myth and so this may seem a bit minute to some people and like okay this is a little bit granular and detailed but if someone is going to use this as a potential reason not to believe the gospel exactly yeah and, and not to believe in Jesus then we need to be able to properly steer them in the direction to help answer that potential contradiction that's easily explained mm-hmm. if you understand the context yeah. which is why this is why we're doing this yeah and and I, I want to drive this point one, one more time we're not even in verse one we're just at it <laughs> but I just want I just want to drive this point um, home one more time. Mm-hmm. I, I really want us to grab and understand mm-hmm. that this is the reason. This I, these kind of ideas are the reason some people have walked away from the faith. Yeah, because someone has asked them a question like, "Well, is six days here? Is eight days here?" And a person who has not had fuel or been taught to understand these perspectives and these ideas. If 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 I can make you, if I can put a crack, a chink in the armor of your belief, mm. then I can tear the whole thing apart. And that is what has happened mm. uh, for many people because they have not been given the proper tools to understand the scripture. When they're presented with questions like this, seemingly simple, mm. it's it represents a small crack that creates a ultimately a large chasm. It's like the ding in your windshield, yeah. left untreated, left unrepaired. It creates a larger crack that ultimately brings about um, some significant damage. And that's why we're digging into that one <laughs> particular thing even. And it's not primarily our responsibility. No. To answer those questions. Right, right. Well, I'm going to take you to see the pastor. No, yeah, no. Yeah. No, you don't have to do that. Yeah. If you can provide the answer yourself, then we need to be able to equip you to do that. Absolutely. Which is what we're doing here. 
And you need to be confident enough to be able to do that. So I think that putting the onus on us doesn't allow the body of Christ to be able to reach who we need to reach. I'm sorry I'm staying on this, but it's no, it's no, very no. Let's, 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 I mean, let's press it because our job, the, 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 according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's our responsibility to make sure you have what you need to do ministry as God intends for you to do it. You are salt, you are light, you are the light of the world, not just the pastoral staff. And you know, I got three and a half jobs, Pastor John, and you got (laughs) 11 jobs yourself. So you know, you might not be able to reach us. We might not see the inbox in time. We might not get the text in time in a critical moment when the question needs to be answered. So you need to be equipped and that's what we want to do that's what we're trying to do yeah and we're going to come back to luke here in just a moment but i want to move on in verse one and talk about these three guys yeah. we, we talked about it a little bit last time and said why is it that he is bringing peter james and john with him mm-hmm. and scripture is informative for us there because there are other instances in scripture at least two that we see where he brings those three men to witness certain events right. in his life. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and and we see it in several episodes. We see it um, when um, he goes to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Mark chapter 5, um, he takes Peter, James, and John with him, leaves other guys out. Uh, we see it when he prays in Gethsemane mm-hmm. in, in Matthew 26, yep. um, that he, he he's just done Last Supper. He's washed the disciples' feet, and he's agonizing literally, my soul is in agony to the point of death is what he says. This is where he sweats like drops of blood, hemohydrosis, the sweat glands get confused, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus has an inner circle, and Peter, James, and John have um, distinct responsibilities mm-hmm. going forward that requires or that Jesus chooses to include them mm-hmm. in these episodes. And, and, John, it's an interesting study to see the the – incredible breadth of of what they see they see transfiguration in 17 mm. and then they see him in depression yeah in, in matthew depression. 26 yeah. Yeah. yeah you know um but but they each have a role they each have a have a have an ongoing purpose that and, that he exposes them and to your point it has a profound impact on them yes like peter writes in first peter he says man we were able to witness these things right mm. and in witnessing these things it was made more sure to us. Yep. Like yep. there's a surety that was attached to them e- even witnessing the transfiguration, him struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane, yeah. and then healing of Jairus' daughter. It was an intentional act, I think, on, on Jesus' part to be able to encourage their souls mm-hmm. so that they could do this ministry moving forward. Yeah. I want to talk for a moment here about James because we just started a series here at the church in James. Yeah. But... People got to understand there are multiple Jameses, just like there are multiple Jesuses in Jesus' day, right? right? Yeah. There are multiple Jameses. Yeah. And this James, James isn't actually the James that wrote the book of James. No, the book of James is written by the brother of Jesus. The, yeah. the, 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 the Mary's other, Mary had other children, which is why we don't, not to be offensive, but this is why we don't venerate her as deity because her womb was 
the incubator for the Lord Jesus Christ, but then she and Joe got together and they, they had, had other babies. They had babies. They, had, they, they did what married people do, <laughs> and, they, and the results were they had children. And one of them is James. You have James. You have Jude. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus also has some sisters yeah. um, that the text that the Bible says uh, are in existence. This James is the brother of John, not Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's John's brother. He's one of the sons of Zebedee that we meet in um, John chapter 1. Um, he and 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 his brother John, um, a lot of scholars, and I believe they're they're related somehow to Jesus' family, but they're not the he's not Jesus' brother. Mm -hmm. This James in in Acts twelve is beheaded. He's he's yeah. one of the first martyrs of the Christian church, um, and we don't get much from him. Um, Outside of the fact of his faithfulness, we don't get a book from him that we know of. We don't get um, a lot of miracles from his hands that we know of. But there's something about his steadiness and stability yeah. that is that is critical to his role in the disciples. And Jesus, he's kind of a glue guy. Yeah, he is. You know what I mean? He, if 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 we're Golden State Warriors. He's Draymond, you know what I mean. He's, you know what I mean. He's setting the picks. He's getting the rebounds. He's he, he's a glue guy, and and it's incredible to me that Jesus uses this guy who doesn't really have a lot to say, mm -hmm. but is someone we should say a lot about. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. And then we have John, who um, he is in John's Gospel. We 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 learn that he speaks of himself in the third person. Yeah. Uh, in humility. Yeah. And he is the disciple whom Jesus Jesus loved. Yeah, he was very close to Jesus. Very close to Jesus. Um, yeah. And in some ways, he, um, as we look later in this text, the Book of Revelation, um, some scholars believe is actually um, a ref referred to this text mm -hmm. as we as we look at it. But he did write the Book of Revelation, mm -hmm. and John. Uh, is someone who wrote a gospel that is just mind blowing yeah. in terms of in comparison to the other gospels. I think over sixty percent of the material there is pretty unique. It's unique material, and and man, we can do the, we can do John's biography in in so many ways, yeah. um, and with just you know just who's on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, John is the youngest of the disciples. Mm -hmm. um, he's probably a mid to late teenager when Jesus starts his earthly ministry. Jesus is. Um, in his culture, kind of older, <laughs> you know, he's thirty, um, which is, is young. He's the OG. Yeah, he's it's young now, but you got to remember the life expectancy in those days was not seventy, eighty years. There was war, there was disease, there was oppression, um, and so Jesus at thirty was kind of you know um, on on the backside perhaps of of, uh, <laughs> of what would be a normal life. Um, so John, John, Jesus calls John to leave his father, Zebedee, mm -hmm. and the fishing business, and to come. And so Jesus becomes a kind of a parental figure, mm -hmm. um, as it were, for, for John um, in his later stages of development into manhood. Mm -hmm. Then John is also, and John's gospel is so unique because John is greatly influenced by Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah. So when Jesus dies, he says to John, this is your mama. He says to Mary, this is your son. Mm -hmm. And what you see in John's gospel, which is the most beautifully written, yeah. um, which is it has the, 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 the broadest view of God and, and, and the nature of Christ, um, it is in many ways the most theologically rich. Mm -hmm. um, comparatively, he is clearly being 
theological, um, that's influenced by Mary. Mm. You know, and then when you read first, second, and third John um, and Revelation, you you see again Mary's influence um, on on John's writing. And so there is a this group here. You know, Peter, leader, direct, strong, um, um, put foot in his mouth a lot of times as he does in this text um but but he's going to be courageous and bold john who's going to have this broad wide perspective this this kind of large view um theologically and and, and doctrinally and then james who's kind of this glue guy you know what i mean that just just you know if 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 um if peter is peanut butter and john is jelly then then james is the wonder bread <laughs> you know what i mean and and you see how jesus fits them together mm. in exposing them to these experiences that are going to ultimately be proofs of his divinity and that he is the way for salvation. Yeah, and so a lot of intentionality on the part of Jesus here to choose these three, mm -hmm. and then we see the profound impact that he had on those three. Yeah. Now, we're we're still in verse 1, but we we, we got to talk about this high mountain, okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so the uh, mountain. We see that he takes them on a high mountain, but the mountain itself is not named, mm -hmm. which I think is intentional. Yeah. I think that especially with a lot of the gospel accounts, locations aren't necessarily identified mm -hmm. because I think God knows our hearts. Yeah. Because if we would have known where this mountain was, we have all types of stuff. Well, well, they do. <laughs> so, 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 so we don't know exactly where right. it is. But if you go to the Holy Land, they they have good they have guesstimates, mm -hmm. and then they build churches on them. Yeah. <laughs> what Peter tries to do, and God says don't do. Right. That's what humans do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. We want to memorialize moments. Mm -hmm. Rather than take the principles and the lessons and and let them be universally uh, applicable, so you know we yeah. we like to deify, we, love it. we like we love to it. revere <laughs> the space, the, yeah. the, you know, it's, and that's I, I I don't have time, Pastor John, but that's why we get in trouble with church buildings and. Some of y'all get mad because they tore down your high school and all that kind of thing. Because, <laughs> oh, it was just, I was, I remember when I was 17 and I, that's where I had my first kiss. Listen, it's fine. You remember the kiss. Don't don't worry about the classroom you kissed in. You know what I'm saying? This is what humankind does. We Don't get me started on monuments and memorials. <laughs> <laughs> Please, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> because we construct them yeah. um, because we want to, we want to, maintain the moment mm. rather than learn from it yeah and and i think again not identifying it yeah is is certainly intentional and it's also true sometimes when names are not given mm -hmm. a certain man mm. or or a certain woman you know um those kinds of things i think that that too yeah. um is is the reason for it so we talked last time about this high mountain evoking images of the exodus 24 text where mm -hmm. we see Moses himself on Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. Now we know the name of that mountain. Yeah. Um, and we can guesstimate, at least in this text, what the mountain that is referenced to here, because they're right outside of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and there is a mountain mm -hmm. that is nearby yeah. that makes the most sense. Yes. So uh, most scholars believe this is Mount Hermon, mm -hmm. uh, which is about 9,000 feet in elevation, high mountain. Mm -hmm. It is a high mountain. Yes. And uh, Jesus and the disciples go up on this mountain, but it's supposed to evoke uh, feelings of, uh, or at least thoughts of Exodus 24 from the Jewish readers who are reading it. So Jesus on the high mountain, obviously I'm going to start thinking about Moses and not just Moses, mm -mm. 
but also Elijah. Elijah's most um, yeah. famous prophetic incident is that he calls down fire from heaven on the top of a mountain to mm. prove that God is God and Baal is not. Mm. And so both Moses and Elijah, who we're going to meet in this uh, text later, are identified with being on high mountains. Mm. And here's the beauty of this language around high mountains, because Matthew, I believe, uses this intentionality here because we see another high mountain in Matthew chapter number four. Mm-hmm. Chapter yeah. number four. Yeah. In the temptation account of Jesus, where the, the, the devil takes Jesus on a high mountain mm-hmm. and offers him the world mm-hmm. if he worships him. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this account occurs in Matthew chapter four. And now Matthew turns around in this account after Jesus declines right. power there. Mm-hmm. And he turns around in Matthew 17 and says, Here's why Jesus declined the power there, because God was going to empower him here in this text in Matthew chapter number 17, because he didn't need the devil to give him power. Yeah. Because God's going to turn around and do it here. It's, oh man, John, the, 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 the connections, the, again, the significance of the symbols and the words, the idea of mountain when you consider Moses, when you consider Elijah, when you consider the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, you're talking about times and periods of essentially aloneness or, mm-hmm. or, or, or singularity. So not always isolation, but mm-hmm. for Moses, isolation for sure. For Jesus in, in temptation, isolation for sure. Mm-hmm. Even with Jesus in company here and with Elijah, with company in uh, in, in on Mount Carmel, on these high mountains, they're still alone. Mm-hmm. It, it speaks of what, what what's going to be revealed here is there is only one. Yes, sir. And that's what that high mountain rem, it reminds us of, of, of uniqueness, of, of mm-hmm. singularity. It's going to reveal the infinite uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ because mount, going up on mountains always highlights that there's only kind of, there's one of, it's one of a kind. Ooh. It's a one of a kind thing. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. good. So let's, let's look at verse number two mm-hmm. here as we. We got to verse two, John. We got, we got through one verse. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> listen, let, let me say this. Listen, when I tell y'all I wish I had time, mm-hmm. this is what I'm talking this about. This is exactly what he's when talking about. When I say about. I wish I had time, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There's all the, Read, so read, so read much two. to unpack, but yeah. you just can't do it you on Sunday it. morning, right? It on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so he's taking the opportunity on Wednesday night. To do yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So verse two, and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. OK, we're, now we're going to get to this word transfigured. Yeah, because yeah. we talked about it last week. We talked about there's a meaning for that word, a Greek meaning, and we held back from it. Yeah. But now we're going to talk about it because it's a word that many of y'all might know. The word is metamorpho. Yeah. And that's where we get the word metamorphosis, the process that butterflies go through Mm -hmm. uh, when they're a caterpillar and become a butterfly. So there's a change in um, in nature Mm -hmm. that happens to whatever is trans. Figurated, and we see that here in this text as a metamorpho happening. Yeah. Oh man. So, so the truth is that a caterpillar is just an immature butterfly. Yes, sir. It, it's always a butterfly. <laughs> it, it's it's always a butterfly. It's just immature. Hmm. It it goes through a process of maturation. 
that creates a completely different expression, mm. albeit of the same essence. Uh, to that end, Jesus is always glory. He, I mean, he's he he doesn't be, he doesn't become he doesn't get glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> what he what he was was he was in caterpillar form. He just mm. and and he decided um, by by divine will to reveal um, in this way to Peter, James, and John the true nature or a or more of the true nature of who he is um, through through this incident. So the mm. so the idea is that this it, the idea of the is the radical transformation. That's what transfigure radical transfigure. It it doesn't look anything like what it was before mm. is the idea. And um, and so the Jesus, you know, because he, he looked like a regular dude. He was a regular dude. You know what I mean? He was a regular brown-skinned Palestinian Jew mm. walking around unremarkable until you heard him speak. Mm. There was nothing that he looked. He didn't look like nothing. But when you heard him talk, it was like, oh, my goodness. Then you saw him work, and you were like, oh, wow, there's something there. And then he gets up on his mountain and says, all right, let me show you all a little bit more. <laughs> and he starts leaking glory through yeah. his pores, and it's, it's, it's a radically different wow view of Jesus than they've had before. Yeah, yeah. And so that same concept or idea is what Paul uses when he speaks about us yes. and our Ooh. spiritual maturity yes, sir. and our growth and development. So I want to look at uh, Romans. Let's look at Romans first, and mm -hmm. then we'll look at 1 Corinthians. And again, this appears in many study Bibles in the cross-reference to this text. Yes. So it's not something we just said, oh, well, we may have known this just by knowing it. But uh, generally, if you have a study Bible, it will show that Romans 12 is a cross reference for this particular passage. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of a God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be metamorpho, transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so Paul here is saying that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind and metamorphosed in that same way, that there's a, a maturity that comes with that transformation. Caterpillar to butterfly. The, it's always there, mm. but renewing the mind through the word, through prayer, through corporate worship, through fellowship, through properly processing trials, mm. renewing the mind brings the butterfly out of me. That's good. That's good. It brings the butterfly out of me. And I have a point of reference for that. Mm. My point of reference for that is the same way Jesus demonstrates his glory mm. on Mount of Transfiguration. Mm. It is the same radical transformation. Mm. That happens as that keeps happening as I keep renewing my mind, mm. um, and and that's what Paul is exhorting us to. And it, it's another great picture in Second Corinthians three, yeah. Pastor John. Sure. So in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, he says, I'm going to read 17 too. Mm -hmm. uh, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now, he's talking about freedom in the spirit, but he's saying that we're being transformed. Metamorpho. We're being. We're maturing into mm-hmm. another level of glory. Now, mm-hmm. Pastor John. OK, so this second Corinthians three brings this all full circle with the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, because the living example he's using about glory is about Moses. Moses. Yep. And how Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, he sees God's after effects, mm-hmm. and his face shines so much they have to put a veil over it. Yeah. He says Moses didn't even get the real thing. He got the after effects. We, that's what unveiled face, we didn't, we don't even have the buffer. We see it in its fullness, not physically mm-hmm. as Moses did, but spiritually. Moses saw types and shadows we have the full manifestation in jesus christ and that glory of transfiguration is the glory we live with and in every day and it is metamorphic it is transforming us Mm. into that into that into that same glory Mm. um that we that we behold in jesus christ he is the one who emanates glory we're the ones who reflect that glory that he is emanating that's good yeah that's good yeah so, so that's what that word, and that's how that connects to our process of growth and development too, mm-hmm. right? So when you look at metamorpho there, and then you look at it in Romans and Second Corinthians, you see that we ourselves are being transformed yeah. from caterpillar to butterfly. Right, and, and, and lest we lose the lesson, I want to be clear about what we're doing. We're, we simply asked, what does this word mean? That's it. And where else is it in the Bible? That's mm-hmm. one of the questions. So when I come up on a word like transfigured, walk down the street and say, hey, John, you look mighty transfigured today. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's not something common. It's not some regular word. This is something, it's something to this word, quite obviously. Yeah. So I need to know what what do this word here mean? Mm. And, um, and and when I start investigating, when I when I use the tools of a of a of a good uh Bible concordance dictionary, yeah. something of that nature. Um, if I just look it up online, that's it. Um, or if I take the, we talked about the treasury of scriptural knowledge. Mm-hmm. If I look at this verse and I look at other verses where it's used, and I see that these other verses, now I have a fuller picture and understanding. Now it's mm-hmm. not just Jesus being metamorphosed. Mm-hmm. I am too being metamorphosed. So there is some precedent here. There's a mm-hmm. paradigm mm-hmm. for me to follow. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's. <laughs> That's so important. We got to understand that you got to be able to make those connections because you don't see transfigured in those other verses. No, no. The word in the English form is transformed. Yes. But when you see the cross reference, then you make that connection there. And, and, and it's an it's important distinction in English. We don't want to say yeah. right. transformed here. Mm-hmm. We, we're talking about the same Greek word, but we're, we're talking about a difference. This is a different kind. Of essence, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus always was this. Mm. We are; it was God's original intent, but we are becoming mm. this, that's and good. so that's that's why we have the distinction in our English, so we understand yeah. Jesus something else. All right, P. Why is Jesus shiny, and why he got all this white on? It's past Labor Day. <laughs> I need to know what's going on. Yeah, you know that's a, that's one of the great questions of of the text. Mm-hmm. What, why is he? Why is he shiny? Why are his garments white? Well, in this day, they don't have the distinguish the distinction of race, so white doesn't have that connotation. So, it, it, that's one of the bridges we have to we have to build. Yeah, 
you know, some people want to throw a text away because, yes, he's white. See, that mean is white. <laughs> white is right. No, that's not what <laughs> they don't have that con- connotation. White represents glory. Mm-hmm. It represents purity. It represents revelation, yep. clarity, those kinds of things. Um, the shining white garments, and it doesn't say Jesus is white. It says he was shining and his clothes were white as yep. light. Yep. It's just talking about brightness, that there is a rev- something revelatory is happening. Mm-hmm. God's glory is being revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're going to look you, you, throughout the Bible when you see light, you're going to see that it's, it always connects to revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, something is being revealed. God is uncovering something. Mm, yeah. yeah. And so to your point, as you mentioned with Moses, we see in Exodus 24, when Moses is shining, he's mm-hmm. reflecting the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And that eventually goes away. Yeah. What we see in this text, when Jesus is shining, he is being who he is, yeah. revealing his true nature, which is him being, the imminent radiant glory of God. And that's what uh, the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews 1, that he is the radiant glory of God, yeah. right? Yeah, and and we're going to see it again in the book of Revelation. Again, John is here. We're going to see it again in, in Revelation when John says, Jesus is going to let it all out, mm. and we won't even need a son mm. because the glory of God is going to light up the city. That's it. Um, and so we're seeing yeah. this preview of of eschatological uh, fulfillment that's mm. this on the way to the end times when we don't have to suffer and cry no more and always howdy howdy and never goodbye and the and this same light mm. that they saw will emanate um incessantly yes, in in the new heaven and the new earth yes sir let's talk a little bit about elijah and moses because mm-hmm. we talked with them about this on the previous episode and we said why are y'all here mm-hmm. and we want to tell y'all why they are why? there? Why most scholars and why the text says that they are so, there? So right? why, why, we're asking questions. So what, why Moses and Elijah? Why not Jeremiah and Isaiah? Why not? Right. Why not Gideon and and Nahum? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where's Obadiah at? Why do why, why do Moses and Elijah get the privilege? Right. Um. And and what we're going to see is this multi-layered answer hmm. about their presence. Um. One of which makes me shout a lot. Um, but, but, but the, I mean, the most direct um, and clear one is that Moses is the one who gives the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's there to represent the law. And then Elijah is the preeminent prophetic figure. If you were with us um, um, last year and we did a series on, on Elijah's life, um, he's the most preeminent prophetic figure of the old covenant. Um, not the only prophet, but, but preeminent. He's, 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 he's the one God holds up in, rep, in terms of um, that the spirit of Elijah must precede the Christ. Yeah. It happens in the person of John the Baptist. Um, he's the one who gets caught up to heaven in a in a um, in a whirlwind, and um, and and does not taste the normal path to mm. eternity through death. So mm. he, he's he's a he's a he's a he represents the prophet. So he, he is as it were. He embodies all the prophets. He's the representative. He's the he's the rep. For all the prophets, mm. so Moses, the law, and Elijah repping all the prophets, they get there, have this powwow with the fulfillment, the one who is the fulfillment That's it. of the law mm. and the prophets, mm. and and this is why Peter, James, and John have to see it because it is another affirmation. Again, yeah. Matthew's Jewish audience yep. will know that the Messiah must fulfill mm-hmm. law and prophets. Got to keep the law full totally. Mm. 
and Jesus says early in Matthew, I didn't yeah. come to do do away with this law. That I came to fulfill it. And that statement is lingering in their minds. Exactly. He's saying, I didn't come to abolish the right. law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Yeah. And now yeah. the law and the prophets show up. Yep. And now Jesus here in this text is saying, this is what I was trying to tell y'all. And and um, John, it's so here's the, here's the amazing thing. Because Peter, James, and John, they're not religious scholars, but they're good Jewish they're men. Good Jewish men. They're, yeah. they, they're men of faith. They followed John the Baptist. They, they, they had some, you know, they were waiting on the kingdom of God like, like all good uh, Jewish uh, persons were. And it's one thing for Jesus to say, it's me. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when the people I grew up revering as speaking for God mm-hmm. say, yeah, that's him. Yeah. And that's, this is the third, these are, this, this constitutes three. John the Baptist says it, who they were following physically mm-hmm. and baptized by. And then Moses and Elijah, they've been, they've been listening to law and prophets all their lives. Every yeah. Saturday in the synagogue, they heard from law and prophets, law and prophets, law and prophets. And then here comes Jesus. Mm-hmm. And to deal with any uncertainty or doubt, let me give you a physical manifestation Peter, James, and John. And this is why, you know, you look at Acts, man. This is why they were willing to die, man. Cut my head off, man. Crucified. That's cool. I've seen, I know this thing is real. (laughs) I saw it. I've seen it. I synced it. Yeah, Yeah. I synced it. And this is this is the this is the strength of Moses and Elijah Mm. um being here. And and this is this is the only place in scripture where they are explicitly named together. Mm -hmm. Now Jesus has said Law and the Prophets uh, Mm -hmm. before. Uh, they understand the law and the prophets and the relationship between the two, but this is the only place in Scripture that we see them named together. Yeah. And there are plenty of other connections between these two. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. Moses is someone who went up on Mount Sinai mm-hmm. with Joshua. Elijah also would go up on this mountain, and they're the only two, yeah. besides from Joshua, yeah. who would go up on that mountain. Yeah. So there's a connection there, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, then they, they have those end-of-life stories that are unusual, as you noted, Pastor John. It's, it's Elijah gets caught up in the whirlwind to go to heaven. Moses' body, God himself. They said, where the body? <laughs> who, got, who got the body? <laughs> who got the body? God. God got the body um, and and buried Moses in an undisclosed mm-hmm. location. Yeah. Um, now here's the here's the thing that makes me shout about this. When you look at this at another level, another yeah. layer, yeah. Moses is right now in a place where he could not be in his life. Mm-hmm. So Moses was leader of Israelites. He he leads them out out of Egypt through the wilderness. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're in the suburbs of the promised land. And he says they need some water. They got this rock that's been following them around. The first time they needed it, he struck the rock per God's instruction. Second time, God said, don't hit it. Just speak to it. Moses gets frustrated and strikes it twice. God says, all right, you can't go in the promised land. Dude, you have missed it. You, your error because and the egregiousness of the error is that the rock represents Christ, the striking represents his crucifixion, and the idea is one hit, one crucifixion isn't he doesn't have it's to be sacrificed enough. over and over again. It's enough. That's the idea. So Moses, you don't get to go in. Wow. You don't. I'm gonna take your body, you my servant, you cool, but you don't get to go in until Jesus comes. And then Moses is allowed to put foot on soil he was denied through his own disobedience imagine that moment for him 
being able to get where he could see it, mm-hmm. but couldn't enter the land. Go look. You're not going in, Mo. You, you can't go. And then to meet <laughs> with yeah. and commune with yeah. the Messiah yeah. on this mountain. And, and, and I, you know, <laughs> it, my, my, my sanctified imagination works on me, Pastor John, as Moses is, is sitting in the waiting room of the resurrection and, and, yes, and, and the angel comes and says, hey, Moses, God is calling you to a meeting with the Messiah. And he says, well, where am I going? I want you to go up to this mountain. Wow. But I'm not allowed there. It's all right because he's there. Mm. And whatever is denied through our disobedience can be restored through his righteousness. Yes, sir. That he is so righteous. (laughs) He is so holy. He is so good Mm. that what disobedience disqualifies us from, Mm. we can still have access to. And and that's the part that, that Moses gets to put his feet on on that soil that he had been, that he had been denied for the balance of his life and throughout mm-hmm. his time of, of, of living, waiting on the resurrection. That's why Moses is there. Yeah. Not, not just to encourage him and to allow him to see the land, but to allow us to see yeah. exactly what you just said. Yeah. That, that God qualifies us even when we do crazy, silly, stupid stuff. Wow. I, wow. I, I got an Elijah one too, but I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to get too happy because the last time you mentioned mm-hmm. it, last time Elijah's on a mountain, he's depressed. Depressed. Yep. He's, he's, he's saying, Lord, you know, he's already said, Lord, take my life. And God takes him up to this mountain, into this cave and mm-hmm. reveals himself, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, not in the whirlwind, but in a still small voice. Yeah. And, and that still small voice. Mm wraps itself in a body mm. and yes, says, let's have another meeting on the mountain. Wow. And, um, and then God ultimately moves from a still small voice to a, to a, a, a more prominent, more pronounced loud voice in this text. <sighs> this is, yeah. it, it's about promise fulfilled. It's about grace. It's about mm. restoration. Mm. It's not just about Jesus having shiny clothes. It's, he he doesn't just have a, a shark skin suit on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I think I think John um, that one of the things we wrestle with is we want these glory experiences. We we would love. I would have loved to have been there. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen this thing shine. See Jesus' clothes shine and his face shine. I would have loved. But what is more meaningful? is what happens beyond the shining because he stopped shining here for a minute mm. yeah. to, to keep going, mm. progressing toward the cross. So there's something beyond the shiny moments mm. in this life. Mm. There's something more. Um, and, but God gives us these moments, these experiences, these opportunities to, to see his glory, to experience his glory, to affirm something in us mm. so that when there's no shine, I can still be stable. Because there was something that awaited him in the valley. Yeah. And yeah. them in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. Directly yeah. after the shine. Yeah. Directly after glory, there's the devil. Immediately after this text. Yeah. Wow. 
We only three verses in. <laughs> All right, so so let's 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 hit a couple more. I yeah. think that we should, we could be able to do. What do you want to do? The booths? Yeah, yeah, you go. Go ahead. Okay, let's yeah. talk about the booths. Yeah. So Peter shows up here in verse four, makes a suggestion about building three booths, mm-hmm. and he Matthew is a little bit uh, nicer than Mark is. Mark treats the disciples like they are dunces or they are just. Slow and, and through throughout his gospel, <laughs> the whole gospel, throughout the gospel, they they, they just dumb. They ain't bright at all, <laughs> and and I think that's a I think that's a direct reflection of Peter's own admission of his own yeah. foolishness. Yeah. Like man, I really didn't get it. Right. <laughs> so John Mark is writing Peter's <laughs> recollections, and I think Peter, I think he was just like, man, we didn't get this thing at all. We were, <laughs> I mean, it was over our head. Right. Um, and Matthew is a little more tender. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a little, little more tender. nice. So, yeah. so you'll see Peter say, if you wish, mm-hmm. make these. Well, the other passage is Peter saying, Hey, let's make these three booths. Yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on, Jesus. <laughs> but he's actually here in this text saying, if you wish, yeah. we're going to make three booths for you, right? Yeah. So uh, what we need to understand about this from an Old Testament perspective is that the Israelites would dwell in tabernacles in mm. the wilderness. They had all these feasts, and one of them was the Feast of Booths. Yeah. And they would live in these booths in the wilderness right. um, as they moved towards promise, um, towards Jerusalem. And were able to live in these booths, and they had this feast to be able to celebrate those booths. Yeah, and and so here's the the thing: booth, tabernacle, tent is what we're talking about. Yeah. Camping out. It it was to remind them of their journey from Egypt mm-hmm. through the wilderness to the promised land, where they lived in these tents, and by their own disobedience for forty years. Mm-hmm. Um, but they lived in these places, which were generally exposed. Um, for thieves and, and, and wild beasts and those kinds of things, but God kept them safe in the booths, provided for them the manna um, from heaven in the booths, all of those things. So yeah. it was a commemoration of God's keeping power. Mm. Um, they were always meant to be temporary. Exactly. This is the, this is the issue. Peter wanted to set up shop. He wanted to, he wanted to set up permanent temporary structures. In this moment. To, for, for, for right now. Mm. So that we can come back here, mm. because this re- this and, was it, and relive the moment. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's you know, I don't want to. Don't get we on. do that? I'm, <laughs> I was trying not. To, I, I didn't want to go there. No. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it. We want to make we want to make the temporary eternal. Mm. And I think that's the one of the great struggles of humanity. And it's, I mean, we all do it. We mm. all do it when something's good. Mm. You want it to be. Listen, let me tell you something. If I go to a restaurant. Generally, I ordered the same thing the same way. Yeah. And I wanted to be that same way every time. Hey, man, don't change the menu. Don't change my order. Mm. Don't say, well, we put a cream sauce on it. No, it's a red sauce. Put the red sauce on it every time. If I want some of the cream sauce, put that on the menu. We want, this, we want the same thing the same way, but, but we should always, our faith is a dynamic faith. It's a living faith. It's, mm. an, it's a growing faith. And, and we are not called to stay stuck or to build tabernacles or booths. Um, temporary structures for permanent purposes. That's not what we are called to do mm-hmm. at all. And that's Peter is a reflection of all of us. Yeah, yeah. So I want to I want to connect in our last few minutes here. I want to connect God's voice with the disciples' response because mm-hmm. I think that's a good place to close. Yeah. So um, as Peter is speaking here uh, in verse number four, um, no, we see five, verse five. Um, it says he was still speaking. He was still speaking. Yeah. When behold, 
A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Yeah. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I want to talk about this voice mm-hmm. um, that shows up here. Uh, a couple of different things that you all need to be aware of. In the New Testament, the only instances where God speaks from heaven are in regard to his son. That's it. You see it at the baptism of Jesus as the spirit descends on him. It's like God breaks protocol <laughs> in the New mm, Testament and mm. says, that's my boy. Yeah, yeah. This is my beloved son. Yeah. And that time he didn't say listen to him. Mm-mm. It's like he wants this time to be able to reiterate, all right, you missed this. You right. want to build these tabernacles or right. tents, these three tents. I'm going to be very clear with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reiterate the fact that this is my beloved son. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to tell you to listen to him. And he also combines this idea in Psalm verse two, where you see this son Mm -hmm. um, in that verse. This is my son. And then Isaiah 42, where it talks about him being pleased Mm -hmm. with this suffering servant. Yeah. So there is a connection piece between the son and the suffering servant in this particular uh, statement that God makes from heaven. Yeah. And and. You know, that psalm is interesting. It, I think it concludes by, by saying, kiss the son, lest he be lest angry. angry. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a word of reverence. It's a word of, of, of awe. It, it's when I send my son, mm. don't put anything next to him, beside him. Here was here's wow. not just Peter's idea to build temporary structures for permanent purposes, but the other thing was why we need three of them. Mm. It ain't but one Jesus. We don't need one for Moses and Elijah. (laughs) Peter was trying to put them on the same level. Mm. And so God said, hey, 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 hey. First of all, don't try to uh, make a monument out of a moment. Then stop trying to make Mm. Moses and Elijah on the same level as Jesus. Yes, sir. No, 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 no. This this, this is the one. This the guy. (laughs) This is the one. He says, in whom I'm pleased, and listen to him. Same words from baptism with the added, uh, as you said, uh, John, um, listen to him. The Mm -hmm. idea is the voice from heaven. And we're asking the question, why why this voice and why these words? Why does God say this? Mm -hmm. The voice from heaven is an affirmation of the person of Christ and the distinction of Christ. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the transfiguration, one of the major themes of transfiguration is the uniqueness of Christ, uniqueness and sufficiency. He's all we got and he's all we need. There's only one him, we only need one him. Even if Moses and Elijah are present and they are nice options to listen to, mm. but if, if if we gotta choose between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, we, we listen to Jesus. Mm. Um, and and that that is what the voice, that's the question we're asking. What is this voice saying? Why do we need to know uh, this information? Why does the voice speak? Because it again is an affirmation. You didn't get it when I when you saw the glory. You didn't get it. You didn't get what Moses and Elijah really represented. So let me just be clear. Let me make it explicitly clear. This is my son. Mm-hmm. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. And the text says, when they heard it, the disciples fell on their faces mm-hmm. and were terrified. This is the verse <laughs> in this passage that yeah. really, really gets me going and yeah. shouts me. Yeah. Because when I read this verse, it goes back to the ending of chapter 16, mm-hmm. where Jesus says that some folks who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
And as I read this, and you look at this idea of them falling on their face Mm -hmm. and being terrified, being prostrate. Obviously, that's a sign of worship. Mm -hmm. But could it be that this is, and Clement of Alexandria mentions this, could it be that this is a spiritual death of us, in a sense, Mm -hmm. where they have now died to themselves, in a sense, and it takes Jesus coming to touch them. Yes, sir. To tell them to get up. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid. And now <laughs> the text closes and says, when they got up, Elijah's gone. Yeah. Moses is gone. And the only person that is left there is, Jesus. is now Jesus. Yeah. It's almost as if falling on their face and getting up and seeing Jesus alone is a fulfillment of what Jesus says here in 1628, that some will not taste death. They had to die to themselves Mm -hmm. and their ideas of what these monuments and memorials look like on this mountain. They had to die to all of that in order for Jesus to come in and touch them and say, all right, get up. We got work to do. Yeah. And the, the, the incredible thing for me is this, no one has to say, fall down. Mm. No one has to say, lift your hands, clap your hands. You know what I mean? There, there is no instruction. There is no rah, rah, sis, boom, ba. A genuine encounter mm. with the living God and the living Christ produces worship as a reflex. And that's the... Wow. That, that's, that, that if I ever really see Jesus and really experience God, you don't have to convince me to be humble and, 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 and worshipful. Um, it, is the, it is the reflex of, because you cannot be exposed to his holiness without also being exposed to your wretchedness. Hmm. And, and this is the, you know, Peter's fallen down before. He fell down on the boat, you know what I'm saying, and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. He's, he's, he's had a lot of falls, but, hmm. but this, this is an affirmation it is the confirmation, Pastor John. We didn't talk about this part. Mm. It's the confirmation of what he himself said. Say it. Yeah. You are the Christ in chapter 16. Mm. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it is that initial understanding mm. that then opens up the opportunity for them to have this experiential understanding. Something he understood intellectually, he now understands experientially. Mm. And the natural response mm. is to fall down and worship. This is why you ask questions. Because as you ask questions, it takes you deeper and deeper into an experience with a Christ who can answer those questions Mm -hmm. and also help you understand that once all this other stuff moves out the way, even all the tools that we're giving them, even whatever we're going to give you over the course of the season, when all that moves out the way, we're like the disciples. When we look up, all those tabernacles and memorials that we placed up, when we look up, the only person that we see is Christ. And that's where we want to be able to point you all in this particular study. And we appreciate you all for joining us on this particular episode. Hopefully, Matthew 17 will never be the same for you. And over the course of the season, we're going to teach you all some tools to help you kind of unpack some texts just like this. Yeah, and and the questions are critical, Pastor John. I want to make sure that people understand um, that that questions are okay. 
they're valuable, they're vital for living faith based on the word of God and God can handle our questions. Yeah. So make sure you all continue to follow us on all of the podcasting platforms as well as make sure that you all are sharing this broadcast and also going over and giving us a rating and review. We appreciate you all. You all will see you next go round. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.